Pray with me before we begin. Lord God, Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for gathering us into your presence. Your word says where two or more are gathered that you are there among them. So thank you, Lord, for being here with us tonight. And I pray, Lord, the words that are spoken here tonight are the words that you would have us hear. Don't let us tune you out tonight, but tune you in again to our relationship that we have with you. Help these words and these lessons strengthen who you are in our lives. We thank you for, again for bringing us here and look forward to what you are about to teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are, once again, gathered on this Ash Wednesday. And sometimes as Christians we do some curious things. Um, sometimes we don't understand the meaning behind what we might call the traditions of what we do. So that's my purpose here tonight, to give us kind of an Ash Wednesday 101. Because if we just come in, you know, and just have some ashes on our forehead and just zip back out the door, that's missing the point. I remember some co-workers at some places where I worked that said, hey, hold on a second, got to go get some ashes, I'll be right back. And I thought, well, it's like going to get something at Burger King, you're just going through a drive-thru and getting some ashes. So I want to talk a little bit about it. Before I do that, though, I want to talk a little bit about Lent. Um, We're in the Lent season. Today officially kicks that off, and I talked about that on Sunday, how we've just come um, out of Epiphany, the season of Epiphany, which is kind of about us learning more about ourselves and learning more about how God works in our lives. And then the Lenten season comes in where we try to, again, get more of God in our lives, try to strengthen that relationship with God. Officially, it's 40 days long, but if you look at it on a calendar, Lent is actually 46 days So we don't count Sundays during Lent, because I'm going to get to this in a second. We usually try to give up something for Lent or try to take on some other kind of task in our lives. And then Sundays don't count. So if you want to give up chocolate or something like that, you can eat it on Sunday. So it's it's kind of... Sunday we consider to be a feast day, is how the tradition started. It's it's supposed to be a, a wise man, one of my mentors, said that every Sunday should be a mini Easter. So we don't fast on a day like Easter. We celebrate those days amongst those days of Lent. So, okay, so Ash Wednesday, right? It's, uh, it's always going to be on a Wednesday because it's 46 days before uh, Easter Sunday, so Christmas and you know, other ha- holidays might float around on different days, but it's always going to be Ash Wednesday. It's always going to be Easter Sunday. So, all right. So, okay, so what do we do? Why, why do we try to give um, some things up for Lent or try to take on uh, some other ideas um, during Lent? And I like to look at it like this. It's a good checkup. Like, how's your New Year's resolution going, is what I always ask people at this point. And so this is kind of like a mulligan. We get another shot at kind of doing that. And uh, since it takes 21 days to, um, to learn a habit or to give up some other kind of habit, we can actually do this twice or two times over. So it's not just for the Lenten season. It's something that we should try to adopt into our lives and into our relationship, again, with God. So not only time to give something up, but also something time to, to bring something in. The idea is to give up something in our lives that, uh, that gets in between us and God. We had a, a series that we talked about, First Things First, we talked about the idols that we bring into our lives. And so it might be something that big. It might be something smaller, too. Something that just distracts us and keeps us from going to God at different times. Takes away that time that we should have with God. So maybe we want to give up something. And again, we might want to replace that time with something else into our lives. Something that, to grow a little bit closer. You'll see in your, um, in your bulletins, of, I've included... Um, uh, Bible reading plan. I don't have one in front of me. I thought I did. A Bible reading plan through Lent. And you'll notice 
that the Sundays are blank because those aren't really part of Lent. So not only you can't take a day off necessarily or take a day off necessarily, but uh, the reading plan is going through those 40 days of Lent. So take those reading plans seriously. Um, We don't like to just um, give the idea of having a Bible reading plan through Lent. I want to give you one. And if you don't like that one, there's a million of them that you can download in about 4.3 seconds. So just take a look at it when you get home. Okay, so um, when we give things up or when we try to add other things into our lives, Jesus would call that a spiritual discipline. A spiritual discipline, a quick definition, is to build muscles of one's character or your inner life. Uh, Structured kind of workouts that train the soul. Some spiritual disciplines are personal inward exercises that you practice alone. Others are about relationships or about practiced in community. So again, like I said earlier, it takes 21 days to make a habit, so we've got a good time to try this a couple of different times. And don't try to cheat now. Try to give up something that is actually purposeful and meaningful in your life. I can see Nathan Raddatz right now thinking, I'm going to give up liver and onions, and then we'll call the whole thing good, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something that's getting in your way with your relationship with God. Now, God says he gives us time and seasons. That's the words that he uses. He gives us time and seasons. Um, This Lenten season is about um, getting more of God in our lives. Um, How we do that, how we go about doing that, and and eliminating other things from our lives or adding something into it, like I said, some kind of like a Bible plan, a different devotional, something like that, maybe you've been saving on your shelf for a while. So Lent needs to be an intentional act on your part. We talked about the phrase last week, or the verse last week, be transformed, right? God does the transforming for you. When we grow closer to him, he grows closer to us. So now, I want to just back up a couple steps here. Like I said, sometimes as Christians, we go through some, some steps, and you know, it's almost by habit and by rote, and we don't really get a good idea of what it is that we're doing. Um, so my, my first point that I want to make this morning, the first question I want to challenge you with um, is why do we call this season Lent? Lent. What does that word mean? Is it past tense for lending something? I guarantee it's something we've never thought of before. Raise your hand if you... No, don't raise your hand if you're not. Lent is uh, an old English word that we don't use anymore. And it has to do with, with spring. And the root word means to lengthen. So in the springtime, the days are getting longer. That's what we're talking about, lengthening the days getting longer. But it also means this. It also means a time of renewal. We see it really well in Wisconsin. I kind of alluded to this last week. We have four seasons in Wisconsin, right? We definitely have a spring where we see things starting to grow and being renewed. The flowers are being renewed. The grass is being renewed. That's what Lent means, to be renewed. So God gives us times and seasons The time of Lent is to renew that relationship with him, to get back into that time with him, to let that grow and to let that nourish and let that be nourished. Okay, you're tracking with me so far? Turn to somebody and say, I'm tracking with him. Okay, good. All right. So now your next question should be, okay, so we um, we talk about Lent. Okay, so now we're talking here today, Ash Wednesday. The question that we should have in our heads And that we shouldn't just go through the motions. The question we should be asking in our heads is, what's up with the ashes? Why the ashes? Quick trivial uh, point about the ashes for you. Um, This year's um, Ash Wednesday ashes are from last year's Palm Sunday branches. We're supposed to burn those down and grind them up, and then you get the ashes. 
Um, we don't actually do that. We get our palms from Mel's flower shop, and then we usually toss them out or give them away at the end, and then we buy the ashes from like Christian book distributors or something like that. But that's how it's supposed to go. But okay, so why ashes, though? The Bible, you can look all over in the Bible, you will not find the words Ash Wednesday. And some of my um, um, lesser believing friends like to point things out like that. And I tell them there's a lot of things that aren't in the Bible that we celebrate. The, the word Christmas isn't in the Bible. We celebrate that. The word Easter isn't in the Bible. We celebrate that. Right? So there's things that we celebrate. We certainly celebrate, and the Bible tells us to do that. So, all right, so the church decided that we were going to do this. So the Bible might not mention ashes, but the ideas that we have in that we're doing this are, are in through the Bible through a lot of different places. So uh, we're just, um, like I said, just like we've never stopped to think about the word Lent, maybe we don't stop and realize or acknowledge um, that, um, what the ashes are about. And the Bible tells us this about ashes. It says that we are dust and ashes. That's why we have dust to dust as the, as the title for our sermon today or our message this evening. Let me show what I mean here. And I'm going to start um, at the beginning. So you all know the first um, part of the book of Genesis. Please hold. Somebody took Genesis out of my bone. Oh, no, here it is. First part, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of the God was moving over the surface of the waters. Okay, then there starts to be this repeated pattern. This repeated phrase that goes on, this three-word phrase. It says, then God said. Right? Then God said, let there be light, verse 3. Then God said, let there be sky, verse 6. Then God said, let the waters be gathered so that we can have ground, verse 9. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding fruit and seeds and trees and everything that grows on the ground, verse 11. Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse, let there be the sun and the moon and the stars on, on day four. Then God said, let waters teem with swarms of living creatures, right? Fish, birds, on day five. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth after their kind. Then God said, then God said, then God said, then God said. The other repeated phrase after that is, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God said, let there be light, there was so. And said, let there be a sky, and it was so. Let there be, and it was so. Until, and I got into this last week, to kind of just uh, foreshadow what we're going to talk about tonight. If you've been with me for any amount of time, you might have heard what I'm going to, about to say, but I can't bring this home enough. This cannot be repeated enough times. Because you get into the second chapter of Genesis. And there, some people will tell you there's two creation stories. There's not two creation stories. Genesis 2 is kind of a retelling of Genesis 1. Go into a couple of different details, tell it from a different angle. Well, Genesis 2, verse 7 tells things from a different angle here about us, about people, right? Then God, I'm sorry, then the Lord God formed man from the dust, from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. I'm going to stall for a second, Jared, while you um, highlight living being here. But here's what happened, or here's what didn't happen. God didn't speak people into existence. He spoke everything else into existence. And then he said, all right, now it's time to get to work. It's time to get my hands dirty. God came down to the earth, put his hands in the mud and the dust and the dirt, and he formed a human being, right? 
And then what's it say? He didn't say, he didn't speak, let there be life with an F. Like he said, let there be light with a T. No, man. He breathed from his lungs the breath of life into Adam. And man became a living being. Better translation for living being is soul. This clay statue not only came to life like Frosty, but not only came to life, but actually now has a soul. Not just life, but a soul. Genesis 2.7. Okay, so then again, you go through uh, chapter 2, and it's a retelling of the creation story. And then we're out, while we're still in this little skinny part of the Bible, you know, it's actually only on page 2 of my Bible here, we have Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is where things started to go south. Right? There was this tree, and there was this piece of fruit, and Eve got deceived by the serpent and took the fruit, and then Adam took it and ate it, and God said, all right, everybody out. I've changed the rules here, and you've got to find someplace else now. And then he said, it's going to get a lot harder for you. He says, everything's going to change for you now. And in verse three, or chapter 3, verse 19, is where God really brings it home. He says, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground because you were formed from it. You were taken from it. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You were dust. I made you out of the dirt, out of the clay. And that's how you're going to go back. You're going to return to that. And everybody got it from that point on. They said, okay, we understand that. At least the first part. Every biblical character, and I could take a lot of different scriptures about this, but I wanted to go back to Father Abraham because we had a series about him too. So Abraham is trying to cut a deal with God, basically, trying to get him you know, to size him up a little bit. And Abraham is being very humble when he comes to God, the creator of the universe, and the, the creator and the author of our salvation. Let's fast forward to Genesis 18, 27. It says, Then Abraham spoke again to God. He's speaking to God. He said, Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am what? Dust and ashes. I, I get that I am nothing, that I am temporary, that I came from the dust, and that Abraham is saying, and then I'm going to go back to the dust. I realize that's, that's what I am. But God says that's not all we are. He says there's more than that. Psalm 90, verse 3, brings it home for us. It says, um, you turn human beings back to dust. You say to them, return to dust. You form from the dust, you shall return to the dust. Man, that doesn't sound so great, right? Well, here's the point. Life is rather short. Sometimes very short. And these bodies aren't designed to live forever. Not designed to live forever. One day we're all going to stop breathing. One day everybody's heart is going to stop. And trust me when I say that can happen literally, and I don't mean this as a joke, it happens in a heartbeat. But God says that's okay because you're not going to need that body anymore. That's not my point, God says, about that body. It's made out of dust. I've got bigger plans for you than that. We're going to get the rest of the story in a few minutes here. But I want to talk about ashes for a minute. Those ashes that we, that we receive, or that we get put on us, 
on Ash Wednesday represent a lot of different things. We just had a series, what we called First Things First, and we talked about the idols that we have in our lives. And I know we don't like to ever say that little three-letter word because they say, oh, that's so churchy, but that's sin that's in our lives. And the sin that's in our lives has to be described like this. It's a disagreement between us and God. That's what sin is, not agreeing with God. Eve didn't agree with God. Adam didn't agree with God. You can think about it like that, but we don't agree with God not on a, just a daily basis, but a minute-by-minute basis. Sometimes we do that by trying to replace him with something else that we call an idol. Sometimes it's just civil disobedience. You know, we were just disobedient from him. We want to do things our own way. That's what these ashes represent. These ashes represent um, the sin in our lives, the disagreement in our lives that comes between us and God. Because what that really does is puts a black mark on our foreheads. That really puts a black mark on our lives. So as we go through it, though, you know, the sin in our lives is sometimes difficult to see. We even say that in our confessions. Some of the things I know, some of the things I don't know. Some of the things I I literally choose intentionally, but some of them I'm kind of oblivious to and I don't really understand them. So when we put these marks on our forehead... I can't see that mark. Everybody else can see it, and it's kind of how we treat our own sin. You know, we've got these black marks on our forehead. We're looking at somebody else's and saying, well, at least mine maybe isn't as bad as fill in the blank here. So I got these mirrors set up. So we're going to take, our ushers are going to help us through this, and I'm going to put a cross on everybody's forehead. And before you sit down, I want you to just take a look at it. And think about the things that it represents in our lives. That disagreement with God. Not being in agreement with Him. Not being in lockstep with Him. The disobedience that we have in our life. The rebellion that we have in our life against Him. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come up. And would you guys just um, start coming through. And then you can return to your seats. Paul Harvey used to say, and now the rest of the story. So we get the idea, right? But the weird thing about the ashes is they're in the shape of a cross. So not only symbolizing the sin in our world, the idols in our world, but also representing that there's a built-in Savior to take away the sin of the world. Sometimes we understand that um, we're human and that we're temporary. Um, Earlier I read to you um, from Genesis where it says that um, God formed man from the dust. And it's kind of like um, the way we read when a potter takes clay and throws it on the wheel and creates a pot. That's how God formed us. And so we, we understand that. But the reality of it is we're not just simply a pile of dust I did a quick Google search today, you know, how much is the human body worth when it comes to chemicals, and you're, you'd like to know maybe you're, you're worth a, $17.18 worth of chemicals, farmextech.com. But God didn't create us to be a pile of dust. He created you to have that relationship with him. 
He didn't create us so that when we stop breathing and our heart stops, that that's the end of us, and now we're just a pile of dust. He didn't do that. He went on a little bit further than that. He breathed the soul into us. Right? So we're not just a breathing entity. We, are, we have a soul within us. Ecclesiastes uh, points that out really well. Let's go, let's go to Ecclesiastes uh, 3.20, which kind of talks about the same thing. All go to the same place. All came from the dust and all returned to the dust. But then Ecclesiastes 12.7 puts a different spin on it. It says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, but the breath... The soul returns to God who gave it. The good news is that we are out of this. You know, James 4.14 says that we are just, our lives are like a vapor in the wind. I kind of like that for some reason. It's like poetry. You go outside on a cold winter morning and you breathe out and it lasts for a moment. It's kind of cool to see and then it's gone before you know it. And that's how the Bible describes our lives. Just an instant, just a moment. But that's what Jesus came to change, though. So that we don't have an end like that. Jesus said, I came to conquer death. So that now death is unemployed, is the way the Bible reads. Death doesn't have a place anymore. doesn't have a job anymore. It's been defeated. It's been annihilated by Christ himself. So when we allow Jesus into our hearts, open our lives to him, And I know, maybe you've heard that for the first time, maybe you've heard that for the hundredth time. But if we don't do that, if we don't allow ourselves to be transformed, to be renewed, we're not. And we sit in that same place, conformed to the world. Not transformed. Lyle read from Isaiah, and then we read the same message from Luke a moment ago. We're going to dig into that a little bit more on Sunday, so I want to save that for a little bit. So it's a teaser for Sunday morning. But Jesus says he's going to give you a blessing instead of mourning. Festive praise instead of despair. And then he says this. He says, I'm going to give you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. I'm going to give you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Other English translations say it differently. I want to show you this one. I want to show you in um, Isaiah 61, verse 3. It says, I will take away the ashes on their head. I will take away the ashes on their head, and I will give them a crown. So we can't just get half the story here. If we, if we walk out of here, and I know, you know, for the last, I don't know how many years you've had Ash Wednesday, and you just wonder when we're supposed to wipe those ashes off our forehead. Well, the time to, to wipe those ashes off our forehead is actually now. Because we have been forgiven. Right? We have been forgiven. So God doesn't want us to stay in this state, in this position, in this moment. He says, I am going to change that for you. I'm going to give you beauty for ashes. It says it a couple of different ways in a couple of different places, but we get the idea, right? I'm going to give you beauty for ashes. I'm going to take away the ashes on their head. And instead, I'm going to give you a crown. I'm going to give you beauty for those ashes. So now as we receive our communion tonight, we're going to do something a little bit differently. We're going to take these mirrors and we're going to set them up on those pillars over there. 
You're going to come through for communion like normal. And then after you receive your, your wine or your grape juice and you put your cup in the little buckets, there's going to be a wash station over here. There's going to be a person there to wipe that stain off of your forehead. And they're going to remind you of those words, beauty for ashes. That Christ does that for us. He doesn't want us to stay in this position. He doesn't want us to stay in this state. Because this isn't where we belong. The body, yeah, goes to dust, but the soul goes back to the one who created it, the one that breathed it into us. So would you please stand with me?